What's going on, everybody? Thank you for joining us live here on Infinity Sports. Uh, we are going to kick things off. It's a big show today. We're very excited about it. So we're just going to jump right into the video intro, and then we're going to let you guys know what's going on. You should already know by now because we've had a week and a half of promotion. So if you don't, then stick around and you'll find out. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. What's going on, everybody? Like I said, thank you for joining us. I'm Wayne G. I'm joined, as always, by Sully. Yo, what's pop? As he's got a flashy new background, just like uh, we have here. It came in, so we actually are uniform now. Uh, again, like I said, thank you for watching. If you are watching, it is most likely on either YouTube Live or Facebook Live. If you miss any part of the show, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon Music, as well as find a replay of the video show on YouTube. We are on Mondays and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Wednesdays are typically our interview day, which we'll get to. If you want to reach out to us, we are at Infinity Sports Podcast on Facebook, at Infinity Sports Podcast on Instagram, and at Sports Infinity 5 on Twitter. You can visit infinitysportspodcast.com. All of our links to social media are there, as well as links to our shows. And you can visit the store and purchase Infinity Sports Apparel, 12 is Greater Than 9 Apparel, and the Sully Collection, which Jesse thinks is getting old. So definitely visit the website, visit the store, support the show, give us a shout out. Uh, we have some questions today from you guys, from the fans. We're going to post those. Uh, and, and obviously, if you submitted a question and we post it up here, you're going to get credit. There's going to be a photo of you uh, along with the questions. So you are getting into the show. So definitely uh, you know, interact with us because we do enjoy it. As I mentioned, big show. Wednesdays is our interview day. Uh, we haven't had one in a couple of weeks, but we do have a really big one this week. It is William Gates. He was one of the subjects of the movie Hoop Dreams, 1994-95. Uh, this comes out at much acclaim Sundance Film Festival. I think it might have even uh, won an Academy Award or been nominated for an Academy Award. As we're very excited to have William here to talk about his experience. Before we bring him on, this interview is brought to you by Invader Coffee, 100% organic, 100% air roasted, 100% money back guarantee if you don't like it. It is a veteran owned business, so please support the troops and those who protect our freedom to drink coffee. If you enter the code BELLYUP, you will get 15% off of your order. So, did your order come in yet? It hasn't. So, it, it should be here this week, though. So, I'm hoping I get it before I leave for work, but it's not looking like it. All right. Well, definitely place your order 15% off. We mention it every week. Why pay full price when you can get a discount? That said, uh, let's bring on our guest, uh, William Gates. Thank you so much for joining the show. We're very excited to have you on. Man, glad to be here, man. Thanks for the invite. No, no problem at all. Like I said, I definitely wanted to reach out to you. Hoop Dreams is actually one of my top five basketball movies of all time. Um, I have, you know, White Men Can't Jump is my number one. A lot of people have mm -hmm. Hoosiers, but I think mm -hmm. White Men Can't Jump, Hoosiers, uh, Blue Chips, um, hoop dreams, then above the rim. 
uh, I have in there as well. So Hoop Dreams makes the top five, and uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't have it as a question. I'm kind of kicking off before we even start with the actual questions, but I'm just curious, you know, how you feel. I mean, I'm sure you're a basketball fan like myself. You've probably watched a lot of basketball movies. How do you feel Hoop Dreams stacks up with other basketball movies? I, I think we're right there, just like you said. Um, one of the top movies in to ever come out, but I think what the difference is, uh, I've seen a lot of polls. People put us like number one, one through five. Uh, I think where Hoop Dream stands is, is is more because it has such a realness to it. Well, it is real, and what it does is it it it's not the Hollywood type situations. You're dealing with real life. So um, when it comes to it being a movie, I almost say you know we're not a movie, we're a documentary because it's real life. You know, I even prefer to us like the first reality show in a sense. So, but I put us up there in terms of sports movies. Um, we're there. We're there. All right. I know that um, Sully actually hadn't seen the movie when, when I, we booked you as a guest. And I was like, you have to go watch this movie. I said, it is one of my all-time favorite basketball movies. It is one of the best basketball movies of all time. Uh, and like you said, it's a documentary. And I think of a lot of these 30 for 30s coming out now. And I feel like it's almost like an elongated 30 for 30. Um, I actually feel like, though, it's so big in basketball pop culture that Hoop Dreams, it's a two-hour-plus movie, but it could have its own 30 for 30 on ESPN as well about the whole video. You know, I agree with you. And, Sully, I won't hold that against you, man. I won't hold that <laughs> against you. But, 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 but you're right. Small, small, um, interesting fact right now. Uh, before the 30 for 30 was done, uh, we actually were in talks with ESPN, actually kind of doing a Hoop Dreams weekly uh, TV show almost, um, mm -hmm. where it would just play off of the movies. And for whatever the reasons, it didn't work out. And then they came out with the 30 for 30s after that. But but yeah, it was it was, it was going to be a, a Hoop Dreams weekly kind of uh, drama kind of show that ESPN <laughs> wanted to do. So. But yeah, uh, man. Uh, first of all, I love the thirty for thirties. I think they're amazing. But uh, but yeah, you could do one for Hoop Dreams because one thing I tell people is that yeah, it's a two and a half hour movie, close to three hours. Let's say that three hours. But they shot over five hundred hours of film, so there's still a lot more uh, that didn't get seen than did get seen. I'll tell you what, watching it for the first time, it, it doesn't play as a three-hour movie. Like, you're not sitting there like, God, you know, this thing's dragging. Like, it really doesn't. It, it, it plays much much shorter, so so don't go into it thinking like, oh, man, it's two and a half. Like, for people who haven't watched it, I'm telling you, it plays much shorter because it's, it's got a ton in it. Like he says, like, there's so much stuff. It's so interesting. So I, I, was, I loved it. I was late to the game, but, I, I mean, I'm glad I got there eventually. I'll tell you what. <laughs> right. Hey, Oh, the ticket was still good when you got there. Exactly. Thankfully, they still took it, man. I was still able to see it, you know? All right. So, yeah, so we have a, a bunch of questions. I'm going to put them up here on the screen. Um, and then we have some fan questions at the end, um, which were submitted uh, via social media, uh, you know, people who said they had some questions for you. Uh, the first question we have uh, for you is I have um, – you know, how were you chosen for the film? And I asked because I, I was watching an interview with Arthur. Arthur said that, you know, that he goes, man, these two white guys set up cameras outside the park. We're playing and we're like, they're going to get robbed. He goes, so we went over to talk to him. He goes, and they said, oh, we're just doing like a, a PBS special for like 30 minutes. You know, we're going to do a thing about, you know, kids who play in the inner cities. 
And I guess, you know, Earl Smith was in, in the beginning of the film and towards the mm -hmm. end that he had kind of seen this potential. Like, hey, why don't you guys do just a documentary following Arthur? And, you know, kind of that's how he got into it. But I'm curious how you yourself, how you were approached by the filmmakers. You know, well, Arthur's right. He was chosen before I was. Uh, but mine's kind of played out kind of like how you see it in the movie. When Arthur was playing against Isaiah Thomas, I was already enrolled at St. Joe's. Or I was at that basketball camp, but I had not committed to the movie yet. Interesting enough, my coach, Gene Pingator, who sometimes has the villainous role in the movie, actually made the introduction um, to them, to me, and was saying, hey, I got this kid coming in from the inner city of Chicago. If you're looking for somebody to go see kids who go from street ball to organized basketball, this might be the kids you want to look at. And of course, they approached me. And after that, you know, I'm a 14-year-old kid. Of course, I said yes immediately. But then I thought about it and said, no, we might need to ask my mom and my brother and get their permission. And like two days later, they were at the house. And I got the same story as Arthur. You know, three white guys showed up at my house. You know, <laughs> it, it, and, and, I, and I still kid them about this to this day. Three white guys show up in the neighborhood in a jalopy. I mean, that thing, I said, I said, y'all making sure y'all car don't get stolen. Or if it does, you don't care that they, they, they might be doing you a favor. But uh, but yeah, it kind of just flowed out that way. I mean, I, I after after the I, Isaiah Thomas playing Arthur, probably that Tuesday, I was set to go. I was involved with the movie. So Sully has a question here. Yeah. So uh, how did you get introduced to St. Joe's? Recruited there? Like like how did you end up at St. Joe's itself? I tell you now, that's an interesting. <laughs> story there. So uh, my grade school coach uh, at the time I was playing, you know, really well basketball wise. And he like submitted my name out to all of these big time schools in the city, whether they were public schools or private schools. Well, public schools couldn't necessarily mess with you because of a district kind of thing. So you either went to school in your district or you went to a private school. Well, all the private schools began to show up and watch me play. Then one day um, we were getting ready to play. The game got forfeited, but one of the St. Joe's assistant coaches was there. And I was just playing around, doing nothing. He was getting ready to leave because there was no game. He's like, I wasted my time. I don't even know if this kid can play. Out of the blue, I'm standing under the basket. I go up and just dunk it backwards. He calls me over and said, you wouldn't happen to be William Gates, would you? I said, yeah, that's me. He said, did you just dunk the ball right under the basket? I said, yeah. He said, can you do it again? I said, yeah. So I go back over, stand right under the rim, boom, dunk it again backwards. He calls me back over and he says, listen, um, take this number, give it to your coach. We're going to be calling you in two days. And next thing I know, in about a week, I was out visiting St. Joe's. And, and I kid you not, man, they – they had me hook, line, and sinker because what they did was they walked me right past the Isaiah Thomas trophy case. So he in there, man, got the USA uniform on, the 1986 MVP trophy from the All-Star game is in there. And the first thing I said, man, Isaiah Thomas went here? I'm like, I'm from the inner city. He's from the inner city. He made the lead. Maybe that could happen for me. So I was sold. The first day I walked up in there, simply because Isaiah Thomas went there. That actually uh, segues perfectly into the next question. And I apologize, Sully, if I step on here because I know there's a couple we have two in a row. 
why not? Because they talk in the movie, you, you and Arthur travel an hour and a half to get to St. Joe's every day. And I'm like, why not Simeon? You know, why not Whitney Young? Like, what? why travel all the way out to St. Joe's? But that kind of explains, you know, it was mm-hmm. the Isaiah Thomas connection. Right? It's the Isaiah Thomas connection, but also the district issue. So if you didn't live within a certain district, you couldn't go to that school. So I wouldn't even have qualified to go to the school, go to Simeon or uh, one of the other big inner city schools. And one of the reasons the city of Chicago started doing that, because guys were transferring schools and going to play with their friends and, you know, they were stacking teams. So the city was trying to make the, the, the game more competitive or keep it competitive by making sure that if if you lived in a certain district, you went to your district school. So, and in my district, uh, I think it was it was three schools, Wales, Lincoln Park, and near North at the time. And my brother, my older brother, all my brothers actually played at Wales High School and did extremely well there. Just said, hey, if you're willing, go to St. Joe's because you'll have a better chance of fulfilling your dream out there. I was going to say, because in the movie they mentioned that, you know, when Arthur makes it to the state tournament, uh, he plays against King High School, and they mentioned that King had some very kind of shady recruiting styles about getting these elementary kids, you know, and I was like, oh, I wonder if they reached out to William. We're like, hey, man, come to King. <laughs> so you, you always hear the talk, you know, when you transfer, you're willing to transfer, but, but the reality is, is that, again, because of district rules, uh, and even for schools like King, um, I think more so what they were talking about is guys moving in and living with their friends and then being able to go to that school. So it wasn't necessarily that they were out there illegally recruiting per se, but they were, you know, you know, if you're my buddy, you're my boy, hey, you come live with me Monday through Friday and go to school. I'll tell you what, that still happens to this day. So that's that's nothing new, and that ain't going away because we, we, right. we still got zoning and district issues, at least down here in Florida, and we do the same thing. I used to coach soccer, and we had a kid live with his uh, his aunt just so he could come to our school and things like that. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so now – Arthur Ainge says, if I were the bigger prospect, they'd have found some way to keep me at St. Joe's. Now, do you, that's, that's quoted from him. Do you agree with that statement? or? Um, I agree to a certain extent that um, if, because he, he, he may, sometimes when I hear that, because this is not the first time I've heard that question, oftentimes I say it, it was really more not if he was the bigger prospect, uh, but because they had guards that played the level that he was playing, uh, I think that kind of worked against him. Uh, but the other thing was, too, um, to be honest with you, I, I don't know why they chose me over over Arthur. Now, obviously, because I went to play varsity right away. I was a bigger kid. I was stronger. Um, but at that time, too, when I went to St. Joe's, here's the thing that people – St. Joe's was ran like a mini college. You know, we were when I got to St. Joe's as a freshman, St. Joe's was number three in the nation, number one in the state and number one in the city. So they were looking for already ready, not necessarily let me help you get ready. Now, if you come up through the system and through the program, then they, they, they could work with you like that. But particularly when I was there, I mean, when I went into St. Joe's, man, my, my – 
my front court was six seven, six nine, six five. I mean, <laughs> and they were all staters already, you know, and I was a freshman. I remember seeing their first practice and I was saying, where am I? This this is this is not high school basketball. Where, where they growing this big at? So so I well, so that, again, I, I, I just think also to the situation with Arthur and St. Joe's, it was unfortunately unfortunate. And I always tell people this too. I wanted Arthur to stay there because I was the only guy I knew. I mean, when he left, I, I didn't have any friends in terms of that I knew, uh, that I'll hang out with. I mean, that was my that was my that was my road dog. We rode the train together, we rode the bus together, we ate lunch together. I mean, it was him and me, you know, the whole time. I felt like where it was a fair question was I think of the movie Blue Chips, right? When uh, Shaquille O'Neal first meets Nick Nolte and mm -hmm. he says, you know, Neon, I'm just trying to get you into college. And he says, if I couldn't play ball, would you be trying to get me into college? No. Absolutely. And I feel like it's a similar type of situation. Like if, if you can help this program, if you're going to start varsity, like you said, then yeah, we'll, we'll find some scholarship or something for you to help out. But if you're just a JV or a freshman team guy, like why are we going to, you know, go out of our way to keep you here when we can bring in somebody that's more ready right now? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and 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 here's the thing. Again, it's unfortunate. And I think that's I think that's what made Hoop Dreams so powerful because it shows the impact that it has on the individual life. You know, the kid, you know, just trying to live his own hoop dreams or just trying to live life dreams. So I think uh, I mean, it's unfortunate that it happened, but I'm glad that the movie caught it to show it. So now that awareness is out there that you know, this game, you can't play with kids' life because, again, at the same time, too, you never know how things are going to work out. I mean, when you look at the, the, the other end of the spectrum, you know, Arthur goes downstate. You know, uh, he, he gets, um, you know, he recovers and, 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 and does extremely well, you know, basketball-wise. So sometimes we do got to just slow down and let things evolve, too, though. So let me segue real quick for this one. And this one is maybe the one you don't answer. <laughs> Who Who's the better basketball player? Oh, man, I can answer that. I'm the better basketball player. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have no problem with that. I mean, I was dunking in, I was dunking in seventh grade. I mean, yeah, when, right. I went, when I went to St. Joe's, I, I, I was ready. I knew I was ready to play as a freshman. And I remember when Coach Ping, I had played three games with the JV team because I didn't start. I didn't go to. I didn't play varsity right away. I played three JV games. We was playing in a Thanksgiving tournament, and I averaged like fifty points a game. <laughs> and that third game, after the game, coach said, "Listen, I don't normally do this, um, but I, I'm, I'm gonna pull you up to varsity." Interesting enough, that whole week, I still practiced with the JV, and I practiced with varsity that whole week. I mean, I, I mean, in, in JV, you, you know, the way it ran, you practice from two 30 to 15 varsity practice was from four 30 to seven 30. So, and I did that for a week. And I remember going to coach and said, man, why am I still, am I, am I on varsity? Am I not on varsity? Because I don't want to keep practicing with JV. And then I got to give you max effort, you know, with varsity. I said, I've got that much energy in me, but, uh, but I did it, you know, but yeah, I was the better player. 
See, I did that for a whole season uh, my sophomore year. We called them crossover players. So, like, I sat the bench for the varsity, but they wanted me to get playing time, so they started me on the JV team. But like you said, I had to be at both practices. So I'm like, I just ran suicides an hour ago. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I already got yelled at. I already took the punishment. <laughs> I already played the team price. You know, one guy mess up, we all mess up. I did that already for about two and a half hours. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, did you have one more on that, uh, the, the section? Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, so the, the schools here that, that ask these inner city kids to come play and then, you know, they don't take care of their tuition. You know what I mean? And they kind of leave it up to these inner city kids knowing that they can't actually do it. I, I mean, I view that as incredibly irresponsible. Do you view it as irresponsible or more of just – you know, kind of, unfortunately, kind of a business decision, which is terrible to say because it's these kids' futures and it's their schools and things like that. But I, I don't know. How, how do you see it? No, I, I look at it as 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 terrible. Yeah. Okay. Again, even even with the Arthur situation, uh, at the end of the day, whether they thought that he could play or not, once you bring a kid into your program, you leave that kid in your program. Exactly. I mean, I I can't even imagine, um, you know uprooting your life, making transitions, families making sacrifice, and then all of a sudden they don't see the value in you that they once saw. That, that, you're talking about demoralizing it. And, 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 Young kids yeah. too, you know what I mean? Yes. They're, they're so impressionable. It's like. Yes. So whether he could bounce a ball or not, if you if you tell that kid, which which they did, they said, hey, if um, – if you come here and you commit here and you do the things we need you to do, we wouldn't guarantee you that you're going to get, you know, go play basketball somewhere. He wouldn't guarantee the level you'll play at, but he said, I'm going to guarantee you you're going to play basketball somewhere. So to me, that's a commitment to that kid, to his family, that not only am I going to see you through basketball-wise, but academically-wise because I know the two coexist. And, and again, that didn't happen for Arthur, and that's not happening for a lot of a lot of kids, like you were just saying, that's playing basketball right now. You know, I, what I found that's really interesting is it's amazing how they'll take even just, you know, a semester of greatness, even though they know that, that you know, families can't afford it. But to get that semester of basketball out of them or get that whole school year basketball for that state championship run, they'll, they'll do that, you know, where it sacrifices the kids' morality. And I, I, I just think that's that's – I mean, their morale. I just think that's that's terrible. And, and I do think it's unfortunate. I do think it's irresponsible to put these kids in that situation and make those promises. But what I think is absolutely despicable was St. Joe's holding Arthur's grades until he yes. paid. That's absolutely. ridiculous. Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, and, and, and I just got to put it out there like this, and, and don't get me wrong, man, I love St. Joe's. I, I don't, if any St. Joe's person watching this, I love the school because they were amazing to me. So I'm not going to take anything away from St. Joe's, anything away from Coach Payne. God rest his soul. He passed away last year. So I'm not going to – I mean, they were tremendous for me. But for Arthur's situation, man, that should have been handled completely different. Give him his transcripts. Let him and his family go. I mean, the decision was already made that uh, he was no longer going to be a part of, you know, the school, you know, institution. Let him go. Give it to him. Because, I mean, let's just be honest. At, at the end of the day, if he couldn't afford the tuition, 
they definitely weren't going to be able to, I mean, and I'm just speaking for me now. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have paid it. No, I mean, right. if I'm not there, <laughs> no. No, what? what am I paying it for? I'm no. not, you know. And I had, I so had that very thought. Yeah, when he so said, pretty. when they said, you know, we're going to put you on a 12-month plan, and if you show us good faith for two months, we're going to release your transcripts. I would have said after that second payment, I'm out. Good. Yeah, <laughs> dude, never paying another payment. <laughs> and that's what happened. And that's what happened. Good. Good. <laughs> but you know, they. But my thing is this: for me, I thought that was just the least they could have done. Of course. Now, you had alluded to it earlier, and obviously that's Coach Pinator, uh, is represented somewhat in this film as the villain, you know, or, mm -hmm. or as the you know antagonist in the film. But I didn't take – I mean, that's how he's depicted by some people who've talked about it. I didn't see it that way. He's a tough coach. You know, he's a very hard-nosed yes. coach, old school. You know, so I saw that. But even, like, when you got injured, I felt like when they show the scene when, you, when he's like, you know, William, I think that you should wait until next year. You know, and you're like, no, no, I don't, I don't mind waiting until next year. Like, I want right. to play now. Right. And he was like, if you feel any sort of discomfort, you should be hanging it up. And I felt like he was trying to. And I understand, you know, kids are kids. We, we're dumb when we're kids, and we just want to do stupid stuff. But I did feel like he was trying to protect you. I didn't feel like he was the bad guy. And so my question for you is kind of just towards the end of the film, right? You have that awkward kind of exit scene where you're like, Coach, you know, just give me your number so I know not to answer it, and I won't donate money to you. <laughs> no. Um, and there's definitely some sort of animosity there, but I have seen you say since that, you know, you kind of, as you got older, more mature and got to, able to look back, you're like, you know what? He really was just, you know, looking out for me. He wasn't a bad guy. I was curious if you could talk a little bit more to that because people who see the film for the first time, he can come across as like the bad guy in the film. Right, right. No, you, you, you're right. Um, the way the way that I, I presented to people is that I was a 15, 16, 17-year-old kid. I was rebellious. I was upset. I was angry. Things didn't go my way at times. So what, what do 15, 16, 17 year olds? We pout. We complain. We get upset. Uh, and, 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 and it probably showed a lot when I was on the camera, when they would ask me questions about Coach Ping. I, yeah. No, I didn't like the way he treated me. No, I didn't like the way he yelled at me. I mean, I'm, I'm again, 15, 16, 17, I'm going to say those things. But, but in retrospect, I've, I've always said this about Coach Pingatoy. Nobody has taught me the game of basketball more than him. He's probably the greatest coach I've ever had. And I'm not just saying that because, you know, coaches passed. But um, in terms of just getting me ready to play, I walked into Marquette University ready to play. That was, I mean, I understood defensive position. I understood plays. I could get up to the board and I could write out a play in X and O's and I could diagram and I can tell guys, hey, you need to be here. And, you know, I even remember playing at Marquette. We were running down the court and we're doing plays and guys would say, Will, where am I supposed to be? Like, I was that guy that knew everybody's position. That's because that's what coach put into me. So you're right. It was a misrepresentation. And one of the things I think uh, outside of the art situation from the misrepresentation is that people hear this scene when coach and I have this conversation where, you know, they say, you hear him say, just write them off. Coach wasn't saying write it off. Like, you know, get rid of your family, get rid of your girlfriend, get rid of your daughter. Because the reality was um, even at that time, who people think I was going to, to get diaper money from, it was coach Pinkator. <laughs> <laughs> that was, you know, buying peppers and huggies and stuff like that because uh, 
he was there. He did understand, and he still wanted me to be successful in life. I think where the miscommunication between Coach and I came, not from our off-the-court stuff, but our on-the-basketball court stuff, and it's just like the, the situation you were referring to. Um, I often wondered, should I have set out? Should I have listened? But again, I felt like my from where I grew up at and where I was coming from, everything was riding on me playing. So I was trying to figure out as best as I could to get back out there. Now, do I wish he would have been a little bit more saying, you know what, William, as much as it hurts me, I want you out there. We need you. But I'm not going to let you play. Because Coach had that kind of authority. He could have just said, no, I'm not going to let you play. And let me pout and cry and whine all I want to. <laughs> but, uh, but again, at the end of the day, man, Coach Payne, that was that was my guy. Um, he he he, man, he taught me the game like like no other. And I and never times I hated him for it because I'm like, man, why are you always getting on me? And he would say, man, when I stop getting on you, that means I don't like you. <laughs> I said, boy, I sure hate to see you 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 in love with me. What that feels like. Well, and you can even say that, you know, uh, coming from uh, an inner city uh, background, there's usually not a whole lot of authority growing up, right? And so when you get into that situation where you're getting this authority hard, it, it can be disjarring. And I think as you get older, it becomes harder and harder to accept that if you've never had it. So mm -hmm. I would even go as far as to say that if Isaiah hadn't played for Coach Pingator, he might have flamed out with Bobby Knight. I don't know if he would have played for him. Probably would have because Bobby Knight was – I mean, he was he – was... <laughs> He was ten point oh times Coach Payne, so <laughs> so you you no you're absolutely right. I think with um you know and I and you know I grew up in a good family. I went I did like the after school programs, uh, but it was nothing like with Coach Payne. I remember a situation when I was walking down the hallway, and there was a piece of paper on the floor, and man, Coach stopped me, grabbed my arm. Punched me in the shoulder. I said, Coach, what you hit me for? He said, Didn't you see that piece of paper? I said, What piece of paper? He said, Oh, you saw it. He said, Why didn't you pick it up? I said, Why would I pick a piece of paper? I said, I ain't put it there. He said, This is your school. He said, This is your responsibility. Take care of your school. He said, You know what? It says a lot about a person who don't walk over trash, but pick up the trash and throw it away. Because that's exactly what he did. He bent down, he picked it up and put it in a trash can, just like that. So, yeah, I think you have the, do you want the next one? Yeah, this one's me. Yeah. Alright, so, don't take this as a shot now. Alright? Now, do you feel like you played to your competition in high school? And but what I mean by is, at the Nike camp, packed with all the stars, you ball out. I mean, you ball out. And then you at St. Joe's, you're only averaging like 15 to 17 a game when theoretically you probably should be averaging, you know, 25, something like that. Um, do you feel like you played up to certain levels or, and, and played down at, at St. Joe's because you had a bunch of talent around you or, or what was it? No, you had to look at it this way. St. Joe's, we, we did have a lot of talent, but I was one of the top talents. Um, the, way, the way the game was played at St. Joe's, we, we were Indiana. 
We were five passes. <laughs> you know, we were back cut, side screens. This was the most organized basketball I have ever played in my life. I mean, this was not how you see it today. You come across half court, you pulling up for a three. This, this, we, we were running sets. I mean, the only time you really got to showcase a lot of your talents, and I remember Coach used to tell me this. When the playoffs started, it didn't matter. So that's when you see, like, when I'm playing against Gordon Tech and all these other schools, you go like, okay, this dude is pretty good. Because then he would come to me and say, William, it doesn't matter how we win. We just got to win now. So do what you need to do. But the first 25 games, <laughs> back screen, side screen, down screen. I mean, we run a shell drill for three hours. I mean, that's that's the system he put in place. But when playoffs came, he let me play. He let me do what, what I needed to do. So what do you think you would have averaged if you got to run like a like an ISO scheme there or something like that? Which oh. I know you could have never run. Don't get me wrong, but like think if you could have run an ISO scheme there. What do you think you would have averaged? Oh, goodness. I, I probably could have averaged easily 30, 35 at St. Joe's. That's what I wanted to hear. Easy. Yeah, Easy. That's, that's what I wanted to hear. I mean, I mean the, the 15 to 17 points I was getting, that was on maybe eight or nine shots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if that, you know. So, so even, but even, even the St. Joe's, I can say this. Um, there were times we were losing and, and, and Coach Penga still would pull me to the side and say, William, we got to win. So I did have those games in St. Joe's where I scored 47, 41. I even think I remember having a 50 point game. So there were times when he just said, hey, man, I need you to take over because, you know, he wanted, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I almost like St. Joe's. We were a high school version of kind of like Kentucky. Like we were so good that our whole starting five had high major division one scholarships. And then the guys who played behind us all had high mid major division one scholarship and they barely touched the floor because but coaches would recruit them and say man you guys must be really good because the guys y'all playing against they so great y'all can't even touch the floor so it was it was that's just how it was back in those days well even now in some of the prep schools like i live here in new hampshire and we have um uh what was it uh I can't remember the name of it. It's a New Hampton prep. So New mm -hmm. Hampton prep, we had like, you know, Rashad McCants went there uh, and guys like that. And what's funny is that those guys, like you said, like a guy like a Max Owens, you know, who went to North Carolina, Max Owens averaged six points a game there, I think, and goes to North Carolina on a full ride because it's just one of those schools where the 12th guy is a division one basketball player. That's right. That's right. <laughs> because if he, if he was at any other program, he probably would have been the man averaging 25 points a game. Easy easy the uh next section i have here for you is this one mine or yours dan this one's yours for marquette right okay, yeah yeah so playing at marquette so this is one of the things that uh i always think is funny is there's a scene in the film where uh bo ag you know arthur's dad uh says you know i was a good high school player you know i, I could have played in college maybe pros right and i don't know how many adults you hear say stuff like this you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about yourself. Obviously, you were a really highly recruited high school basketball player. You go to a Division One program, and I'm curious to talk about that jump in competition from the high school level, which was, like you said, 12 guys going to college. From that level, though, to 12 guys who are in college. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll tell you this. the the My first reality of college basketball actually had nothing to do with 
college basketball. I remember I, we were at a um, orientation um, at the school, and I remember seeing Coach Kevin O'Neill walking in the in the in the area, and he comes up to me and he says, "Man, Will, so glad you're here, man. It was an honor. It was a privilege recruiting you." And then immediately after that, he says, "Now it's your responsibility to stay here." My mind, as a high school kid, had not comprehended what he was talking about. What do you mean? Uh, it's my responsibility to stay here. Isn't that built in? I mean, I can I can lose this. I mean, what what are you what are you talking about? I mean, that's immediately where my mind went. So that jump for me made me recognize that. Oh gosh. I got to secure some things here. I'm not as secure as I thought I was going to be. So uh, I, I I need to figure this thing out. And so, of course, you know, man, I didn't miss nothing. I was at, you know, all the practices, the open gyms, whatever it was. I was there participating in it, trying to learn the college system. And I'm going to tell you this. I thought them guys that I played against uh, in high school was great. But let me tell you, my first week at Marquette, we're playing against the Milwaukee Bucks because they used to come down and, <laughs> and use our gym and work out with us. So, you know, because, you know, we shared the same arena. So and I'm going in there and I'm like, here's Alvin Robertson DM me up. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> I'm a freshman. <laughs> you know? So that was like my introduction to, you know, college basketball. It was like, if you want to get to this level, you got to figure out how to play against a guy like Alvin Robertson. So that was that was that was my intro. Yeah, Which by the way, after that he took me to get some some pancakes too though. <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> pancakes or waffles guy, William? Man, oh gosh, it depends on the day. Really? Depends on the day. Yeah. I I'm 50-50. I'm a waffles guy. If, if you're giving me guy. both options, I'm a waffles guy, man. Well, see, it, that's what I'm saying. Depends on the day. AU, I'm straight waffles because, you know, that's all they got is the waffle machine. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, one of my questions here about going to college, too. First of all, I loved in the film when the coaching staff came to you and basically said, listen, William, this is how bad we want you. If you choose Marquette you're here for four years, you're going to get your degree, all right? If you get hurt your senior year of high school, we're not yanking your scholarship. We still want you to come to Marquette. And I thought, especially nowadays, and I don't know if it's different back then, but a lot of times kid gets hurt even while he's in school, a sophomore year of college, gets hurt, scholarship gone. They give it to somebody else. Yeah. And yeah. I thought it was really nice of them to say, that, like, listen, William, we want you to get your degree here regardless of whether you play a single game or not. You know what? That, that actually sold me more on Marquette than anything was their commitment to um, – to me outside of the game of basketball. I, I I mean, first of all, I would have been crazy to turn that down. You just, you just, you just don't. And, and not only did they, they live by that, they proved it because my junior year, when I set out and I didn't play, we got a new coach in and that new coach didn't say, Hey, well, I know you're a senior, whatever the question may be, but um, you're going to have to go find another school to play at. No, I, I, I finished up at Marquette. Yeah, I thought awesome. that was great. Um, yeah, that's uh, all I really had for that section. Um, let me just see what I have here. Is this, this one's yours, Sully? Yeah, this next one, yeah. All right. So Afterlife, you became a pastor. Mm-hmm. And – I'm curious as, I, I mean, this is obviously, this is a huge what if. 
Marquette pans out differently. You go to the NBA. Uh, do you think you find faith in the same way and, and your path leads you back to being a pastor after the NBA? Or I understand that's a big gap, but, you know, and, and you know, are you are you kind of comfortable and happy with, with where you are with, with being a pastor instead of doing the NBA and things like that? I think I think my, I think the path would have eventually led me back there. Um, interesting enough, it runs in my in my family. My grandfather was oh, a pastor, okay. so so it wasn't like you know walking into ministry was this foreign, yeah. like hey, he's not playing ball. What can I do in life? Oh yeah, go be a pastor. No, that, wasn't, <laughs> you know, that wasn't the situation. Um, it was it was more that I just think it was the calling on my life. Um, I think if I would have made the league, I, I wanted to play in the league, man, something terrible. And I would have played it as far as, you know, it would have been allowed for me to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can say this, becoming a pastor and especially going back to my community in Cabrini in Chicago, being able to pastor back in that community probably meant more than playing in the league. You know, I, I can't tell you the amount of people that I had the opportunity to reconnect with, watch their children grow, uh, lifelong relationships that that people claim on Facebook. I was having it for real, you know. You know, people you hadn't talked to in years, and all of a sudden you connect with them on Facebook. But I was seeing them in person and close up, and you know, for a lot of them, man, I, I you know, I, I buried their mothers and their fathers, and I did their weddings, and you know, and dedicated their children. So it it was it was so rewarding to be a part of that human aspect of life that many people don't get an opportunity to be a part of. It's amazing to hear. That truly is amazing to hear. This is where you get two in a row, right? Yeah. Now, before that happens, you, you get the call. Well, I don't know if you get the call. Did MJ call you personally for this workout in 2001 for the comeback? No, he didn't call me personally. His trainer okay. did. Okay. His, trainer, his trainer called me, and then Mike will call me after that. So, but his, his trainer, um, Tim Grover, mm-hmm. said, hey, Will, uh, man, listen, once you come down to play, we're playing at noon. I hear you working out. I hear you trying to make a comeback. Come over here and work out with us. So I got up and I go work out. Now, here's what's funny. I walk into the gym. First first day I get there, I see the whole 1990-91 Bulls championship team. <laughs> I said, man, these guys are too old to be hooping. <laughs> what, are, what are they out there doing? I said, man, I'm like that big Bill Winnington and Will Purdue. I'm like, what is what is going on? But it, but it, but it was it was good to get out there because you know they pros, and no matter how old you get as a pro, you just get craftier, man. You 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 might be slower, but your game is crafty and smooth. And so, man, it was so great being there day in and day out. And of course, as you know, the college season will begin to end, as the NBA season will begin to end, guys who didn't make the playoffs, they started showing up and all of a sudden Penny Hardaway is in the gym. Chris Weber is in the gym. I remember one particular time this 17 year old kid who shows up about 6'9, 240, you know, named LeBron James shows up in the gym. I'm like, who is that dude? I'm like, that dude is I said he in high school? Said, oh my goodness! Built so, like an NFL linebacker. Huh? Yeah. Uh, oh my, just just huge. But you saw the youngness in his face, and you go like, "You sure he's okay?" Because his body, 
didn't match his face. <laughs> it was like, man, this is a grown man body here. <laughs> but but it, man, that that's probably one of the best experiences in my life. And this is what I got out of it, even though uh, I had gotten hurt again. And that actually kind of really pushed me into the ministry at that point. I knew it once I got hurt again that God was calling me to do something different in my life. Uh, one of the things I knew coming out of that situation, I knew I was good enough to play in the pros. Because, man, I'm going to tell you, I, I was handling it. I mean, I was I was playing extremely well, you know, in that little in that little session. So it was, it was and I mean, I was getting a call every day to the point where I remember because, uh, you know, Mike, Mike, Mike's so competitive. He only likes to win and he only count how many times you win. Not him. OK, how well you play. You look at you and say, yeah, but how many games did you win? So the teams, we will always be against each other, and my teams would destroy his team. So about three weeks into playing, next thing I know, I'm on Jordan's team for the rest of the time. We down there because he's like, I'm tired of this losing. But you know, that's one of my, you know, one of my things that I get to hold on to and cherish. That hey, I had the opportunity, man, to play with some NBA greats. And not just that, like you said, you, you were able to play with them and play at a high level and felt like you belong and like you weren't out of place. And I know like for somebody that, you know, dealt with injuries and, you know, it didn't exactly plan out probably the way you wanted to, you know, that kind of feeling to know like, hey, look, I, I could have definitely done this if it all went well. Like that's that's got to feel incredible. You know what I mean? Because then it just, you know, everybody hates doubt. You know what yeah. I mean? And you don't you don't have any doubt. You know, no. even if you didn't no. play, you know, you very well could have played and could have held your own. And then, and that's the you know the answer to the question you asked me. Am I am I comfortable where I'm at right now? Yeah. In terms in terms of, of my life, man, absolutely. Because that's one of the things that has happened in the course of being a part of Hoop Dreams, getting the opportunity to you know to to go back out for it. Uh, and and here's one aspect of the story that a lot of people don't even know about that NBA thing. When I missed the opportunity to go work out with the Wizards, the Chicago Bulls called me in. Now this was right around the time that. Jay Williams had got hurt, and uh, man, I went in there, and I, I mean, I shot the lights out of that thing. I mean, I was just handling the ball, playing my business. I got home that evening, had a temperature of 105 degrees. Jesus. Don't know, don't know where it came from, and 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 literally because the Bulls wanted me to be on their practice squad because literally what they said was, hey, Will, you know, we got some guaranteed contracts, but. We won't put you on our practice team because you know if somebody get hurt, man. We're, we're gonna pull you right in, and uh, but of course with with the with the the fever, I never got an opportunity to go back because if you, those are those those are the type of situations if you don't answer and go back immediately, they kind of move on. Yeah. So I had a very small window, and man, it took me a week to recover from the sickness. Yes. My favorite part of that story, and Michael Jordan fans are going to hate this, is that after losing and losing, he decided to create a super team and just get the <laughs> 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 uh, I won't say we were a super team because, you know, one of the things you recognize when you play with Jordan is that no, no, you, you got to have a tough skin. You got to have that um, – that, that that ability to go out there and, and, and hold your own. But you also recognize that it's still Jordan's team. So you gotta give Jordan the basketball. <laughs> <laughs> so my question uh, is this so 
before he comes back in 2001, and I actually saw his first game uh, with the Wizards in Washington. Uh, it was right after 9-11. Um, and I remember that uh, they had all the guys out on court uh, who, like, some of the guys were from the Pentagon that survived the Pentagon uh, thing, and then they'd have a player next to him. Mm-hmm. And when they got to the guy that was with Jordan, uh, you couldn't even hear anything. It was so loud, you couldn't even hear anything. Um, but I remember before that he came back, before 2001, he came back a little bit out of shape. And one of the things was that in these pickup games, he got hurt. He bruised some ribs or cracked some ribs or something. Mm-hmm. And I was curious if you were there the day that he got hurt. Yeah, I was there. Okay, was there. because rumor has it, and I, I subscribe to this rumor, <laughs> him and Ron Artest got into a tussle. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I've heard that rumor, too. No, that wasn't that one it. He took a nasty elbow from a big guy. That's, that's, that's what threw it out. You know, interesting enough, people keep saying that Ron Artest was there, but Ron Artest never was there. Oh, okay. He wasn't even, he wasn't even at wasn't even at the um the workouts you know mostly the guys who were there were a lot of carolina guys you know stackhouse Rasheed wallace you know these these were jordan's inner circle folks Mm -hmm. who was there or you had to know somebody to get into here you know you wouldn't just you know Showing up to Michael Jordan's place and getting in and talking about I'm ready to hoop. That, that just wasn't happening. Because there wasn't that very many of us in there. Probably the most on any given day, 20 guys. Now, right. I will say this. Here's was the most fascinating thing out of that. You know, I'm not a rich guy. But I remember pulling up, you know, I thought I had a, a decent, nice car. <laughs> I, I pulled up to the parking lot, man. It had to be at least a billion dollar worth of car. <laughs> Lamborghini, Rolls Royce. I was like, what? Where, where is this at? Uh, well, I remember a story uh, from because Michael Jordan was a, a tremendous trash talker. Everybody knows that. And, and so was Gary Payton. You know, Gary Payton was a big one. And I guess there was a story that Gary Payton and Jordan had kind of gotten into a little bit of a, a back and forth uh, back in like 97 ish or so. And I think Gary Payton threw something at Michael Jordan to the effect of, uh, he's like, you know what, man? He goes, I don't even need to listen to you. I just got two Ferraris or something like that. And Michael Jordan said, where'd you get them from? Because I'll buy the dealership tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell, tell you one even greater than that. I remember when with Gary Payton and Jordan, uh, Gary Payton again, they was at a restaurant and he was like, Mike, I'm, I'm coming up like you. I'm balling. I, I got all this and I got all that. And, and, you know, I got these cars and all that. And Jordan just looks at him and says, yeah, but you pay for yours. <laughs> I get mine for free. <laughs> That's awesome. God. So this section, we actually, like I said, we asked fans what they wanted to ask you. And these are some of the questions that we got uh, through social media. People had to ask questions. Uh, the first one I have here is from uh, Carl Doucette. He runs the Manchester Basketball Association here in um, New Hampshire. Uh, it's a great league. I told him I'd give him a shout out for the league because I played in the league for a, a long time. Um, he's got a lot of different divisions, and it's just really fun. He's very big on sportsmanship. If you're not a good sport, you can't play there. It doesn't matter how good you are. He wants good sports there. And so there's some really competitive leagues. Those are the ones that get a little bit more heated. Um, but his first question was, uh, what modern-day player reminds you the most of yourself? Oh, wow. Wow. Whew. Man. That's a that's a tough question because I was hard nosed. I played defense. 
but I could shoot the lights out of that thing. Wow. Let me think. Let me think. Martin Day Player. So I know back in the movie they compared you to Isaiah a lot, but obviously he's back right. in the 80s. Um, right. I think the modern day Isaiah was probably Chris Paul, but I don't know if. Yeah, I think Chris Paul is the modern day Isaiah. I, absolutely. Um, man, that's that's so tough. Because the because the league isn't the same anymore. Like you know, even even for me, I, I kind of thought of myself like as a different type of player. Like even the reason why like I wore number twenty two, a lot of people don't. A lot of people think, man, you wore 22 because you were trying to get close to Jordan number without being wearing Jordan's number. No, I actually chose twenty two because of Andrew Tony, who used to play for the Philadelphia 76ers. I used to love his game. I was like, he could shoot, he was tough, he could jump. I was like, man, that dude, and he played with Dr. J. I was like, wow. But Martin Day player. Wow. I'm about to come back to that one. <laughs> so his his second question he throws out there is, what's better about basketball thirty years after you played it uh, in high school, and what's worse about it now uh, in twenty twenty? Like, what's what would you say? Hey, this has improved, but this has gotten worse. I think what's gotten worse about the game of basketball in high school is that um, um, high school coaches don't have as much authority as they used to have anymore. You know, they they can't they can't you know tell kids what to do, where to go, because you know, right now, parents are so involved in sports now, they, it's, it's difficult, I think, for coaches to coach. I think what's gotten better is, 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 the, is the fact that athletes now are so much more capable of displaying their talent. I mean, you, you see a kid now, you can instantly look at him and go like, oh man, that, that kid, wow, he's a pro. Like when I first saw Derrick Rose play, I was like, oh, he's a pro. I, I knew immediately that kid was a pro. So I see that now. Like even the, the kid who plays for Sacramento now, um, the point guard, what is his name? Darren Fox. Darren Fox. Like when I saw Darren Fox play, he, you know, he's from the uh, Houston area, uh, probably about an hour from us. But my boys used to play against him in high school. And I watched Darren Fox hit 50-footers. Like it was nothing. I mean, I said, that kid's a pro. And lo and behold, he goes to Kentucky one year, he's done. He probably could have went straight out of high school to the pros. He was that good. So just so before we move on real quick, so I would say a better shooting Marcus Smart. Are, are we okay with that? Or Marcus Smart. Now, Marcus Smart did shoot 37% from three. If you, but... if you, if you take away – the antics. Oh, okay, yeah. I would like I wasn't like that type of guy. Like, you know, I wasn't the you know. Plus that was that was an element to my game where I would say I was probably more athletic than Marcus Smart. Cause I I mean in my own mind I thought I had a a piece of Jordan in me too. So I I you know I wanted to, I had the big hand. I can grab the ball right off the bounce and dunk it in. So I, I love that aspect of the game. But in terms of that hard nose, get in your face defense, like Marcus Smart, yeah, that was me. But mm -hmm. I thought I shot it a little bit better than, than Marcus Smart, too. Okay. Particularly in high school. Yeah. So, how different do you think life would have been without Hoop Dreams? I think life would have been completely different if I'm, if I'm just being honest. I mean, Hoop Dreams opened up doors that 
probably would have not been opened. I mean, the things that I've done, the places that I have gone. I mean, hey, right now, man, I'm, I'm on Infinity Sports because of Hoop Dreams, you know. So it, it is uh, Hoop Dreams has not only become a huge part of my life, but I can all I can really say in many regards, in many respects, it has been the driving force in my life. Now, I have not been kind of like my counterpart, Arthur A.G. Like, I, I haven't been out there like, hoop dreams, hoop dreams, hoop dreams, hoop dreams. But uh, like I'm doing that more now. Like, you guys are probably in the last 25 years, probably only my 10th interview, you know. So um, I'm doing that more now and, you know, um, putting myself back out there more. But hoop dreams definitely, man, has opened up every door that I've, that I've walked into. That's amazing. So that question came from Patrick James Morris. Uh, next question comes from John Auberton. This is Sully, right? Yeah. Uh, now, are you still playing? How often are you balling yeah. if you're still playing? You still got them hops? You still dunking? What's up, man? Well, here's what's his was interesting about <laughs> 2016, I officially retired from the game of basketball, and I'm going to tell you why. But I'm going to tell you about my 2016 my 2016, I was invited back to play in the St. Joe's alumni game. <laughs> man, I went in there, man. I, I mean, <laughs> actually, I played phenomenal. It was great <laughs> to go back in there and play, see all these guys I played against and older guys and guys after me. So it was just phenomenal to be there. That same year, Marquette was celebrating 100 years, and I went back and played in that alumni game. And at that moment, I, my knee said, that's it. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> that's it. There's no more. And the proof is that um, November of 2019 and May of this year, November 2019, I had my first complete knee surgery, replacement surgery. And then you know, uh, May of this year, I had the other knee done, complete. Ooh. Knee surgery. So in terms of basketball, uh, so <laughs> we done, huh? You know, I, I'm barely getting the old the elliptical. <laughs> <laughs> well, so's Wayne, but that's for different reasons. Oh yeah, yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> I can still go out there, hit a couple threes, and then get out of breath and come back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I think I can do that. Like I tell people now, if you if I do play, I'm only playing. I'm playing offense on both ends. Yeah, we're playing horse. We'll sit there play around the world. We can play that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. I haven't played defense in 25 years, so it's, it's all good. <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, Sil Kozart, I don't know if you – so Sil Kozart was in the movie Blue Chips. He was in the movie White Men Can't Jump. Yes, uh, you know, White absolutely. He uh, is a friend of the show. Uh, we had him on a little while back, and he actually just recently did a basketball documentary. I think it was just called Basketball, and it's about the history of the game, and, and in particular the history of the game and then race relations um, and how it was all affected and how, for him, basketball was always a safe haven because he didn't feel any sort of race when he was on the court. It was just off mm -hmm. the court is when he would feel it. Um, but anyway, so submitted a couple of questions because I told him you're going to be on. He said, yeah, I got some questions for him. So his uh, first question, he said, you know, how involved were you in the production of the movie? I guess in terms of like, you know, uh, I'm sure not as much as like cutting the film, but in terms of telling them when they can videotape, things like that. We were we were heavily involved with that. I think when uh, <clears throat> when it initially started, they were kind of there every day. And then, of course, you know, like all documentaries, once money was getting low, they would, 
you know, try to pick and choose the days they would come. Uh, but if we thought something was important, they would show up and they would be there. Uh, in terms of the post-production, uh, what they would do is they would bring us in and say, hey, is this accurate? Did this happen? Um, do we need to say this differently? Or they say, you know, hey, we want to put this in here. You know, it might be tough. Are you okay with it? So a lot of that, um, we were a part of those productions. And as a matter of fact, I remember when they first bought us the movie. I think it was about six hours long. My first question was, man, who's going to watch a six-hour movie? <laughs> so, so, but yeah, they, 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 they really did bring us in, but not to the point where um, we would mess with the integrity of, of what they were doing. Uh, it was more so for accuracy. Is this correct? Did it happen this way? Uh, and they also let us know, because there are times when, you know, I probably said something, you know, my freshman year that it blended, you know, with my sophomore year. Or I said something my junior year that they probably put it in my freshman year. So we were part of that saying, hey, no, man, I said that when I was a junior. You know, I, I wasn't thinking like that as a freshman. So it was, it was good that they had us in there like that. And they did it for both Arthur and myself. And uh, he then asks, um, what wasn't in the film? At least they had six hours when they brought it to you. They taped over 500 hours. What wasn't in the film that you could talk about that you thought you know, maybe could have been in there? I think one of the biggest things that uh, isn't in the film is that you don't see all of a sudden, you know, my daughter shows up. It's like, whoa. Where'd she come from? <laughs> we kind of know her. Yeah. <laughs> I think we know how that happens, but... And, and, and I think the other thing is that, that you didn't see a whole lot was like how Arthur's mom was heavily involved. Um, uh, my mother uh, really just chose to say, hey, no, let this just be about him. I'll do some things. I'll do interviews and that stuff like that. But stay focused on on him. So uh, those those kind of things wasn't shown. And then there was things like, you know, conversations that Curtis and I had that where, you know, we just wasn't getting along. We wasn't talking. Um, and, and, and then you don't see us patch it up and work it out kind of things. You don't, you don't see a lot of that. They focus a lot more, uh, I would say, particularly basketball early on and, and with me. And it was, it was, and it was, it was always, I think with Arthur, always more about the life story from the very beginning to the end. But I think the first two years, it was really, basketball with me and then once you know adversity shows up with the knee surgeries and all these other things then you start seeing the other as the human aspect that they focused on at that point so you don't see a lot of um my personal things i was dealing with in the first two years of the film that they got they just didn't use that was one of my other uh, favorite scenes with the marquette in your living room uh, aside from offering the full scholarship regardless of injury is I liked when Curtis asked, uh, you know, he said, how many guys are you recruiting at the guard position? You know, and they said, oh, we got like five, six, seven guys. And they said, but you tell us you're not looking at any more schools. We're not looking at any more guards. Hey, you know what? I, I, I give Kevin O'Neill this, man. He was a straight shooter. <laughs> he, he was a straight shooter. You know, and one of the things I, I kind of, it's interesting about, about this, I actually know the other guards that they were looking at because we all were being looked at by the same schools. It was Marquette, Michigan, and Kansas. And so at that particular time, I was kind of like one on the list of the three schools. 
after me was a guy by the name of Calvin Rayford. And then after him was a guy by the name of Eric Snow. So when I told Kansas and Michigan State that I wasn't going to go, then Eric Snow signs with Michigan State. Calvin Rayford ends up going to Kansas. And of course, we, we know how it turned out for Eric Snow. So, <laughs> Well, I remember thinking too, like, all right, you know, this guy could have ended up in Michigan instead of Jalen Rose. You could have been in that Fab Five special. Um, but I don't, I mean, Jalen Rose and Chris Webber were tight. Like, there was no way they were breaking those two up. So, No, no, they, they yeah. Even though it was, was interesting, I haven't talked to Chris in a while, but when we were at camp and we, when we do get to, we, we laugh a little bit about it is that, um, in the in the movie, they actually have it, us talking about it. They just didn't show this either. We were actually talking about going to Michigan State together. Hmm. That's what's crazy. But then he ended up going to Michigan. Now I read the the book Fab Five by Mitch Album, which they kind of you know did the documentary on. And mm-hmm. in the the book, I remember it saying something to the effect that Chris was going to go to Michigan State. Uh, he's a big Magic Johnson fan. Obviously, he mm-hmm. he really thought about going there. And I think what ended up happening was he went there for a visit. And they got some footage of him wearing a Michigan State sweatshirt, and they tried to bust Michigan State for almost like kind of like some recruiting things, or they tried to hold that over his head, like, "Hey, if you don't come to Michigan State, we're going to say that you took the sweatshirt," or something like that. Something there was right. something underneath of it. I heard about that, but I'm I'm not sure all of the. But it wouldn't surprise me because you know, I mean that's 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 college basketball. Exactly, these scumbags don't do anything. <laughs> Uh, last question that Silk had, he said, uh, how did your friends, family uh, receive the movie when it when it came out? Like, How did you guys feel about it? You know, what's, what's funny is uh, I think early on I was, I was a little subconscious because I remember um, my wife and I was my girlfriend at the time. We were we were at the theaters. You know, they show the previews before the movie come on. Then all of a sudden, Hoop Drains comes across the thing and we're like, oh, my goodness. This thing is gonna be in the theaters. So, <laughs> you know, my family was excited. My friends were excited because you know they had gone to different theaters and they had saw the trailer in, you know, in the in the in the movies and and of course at this particular time I think Above the Rim had just came out because you know we was all running to go see Above the Rim and Hoop Dreams was one of the trailers that played before it. So that's awesome. It was it was it was just it was it was a moment in life, man. That probably was just surreal and just I mean who would have thought that Arthur Ag and William Gates would have been you know two kids from our backgrounds our community participating in this movie that had become not just nationally known but world renowned and known and it was just like it was, I'm lost for words actually I mean, we can't not say this. You got 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. That's fucking hard to do. Excuse my language. I apologize. That's hard to do, man. That's that's tough. 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. We're we're in the National Archives. Yeah. I mean, we're we're in the top 100 movies ever. I mean, it's... This, this Ranked is like, extremely high on IMBD. All of it. It's it's an incredible... I'm telling you, it's an incredible movie. And here's, here's what's always amazing to me. Here we are celebrating 25 years, and we're still talking about who's yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, That's phenomenal to me. Well, you mentioned the, the preview showing during Above the Rim, and I want to say that's where I first saw it for the first time. I went and saw Above the Rim in the theater, um, and I still own it. I own like every basketball movie. And um, 
when the preview came out for uh, Hoop Dreams, the scene that I still remember to this day, seeing it in the preview and still almost smirking when I see it in the film, is when you're going through the recruiting letters and they say there's gold at the end of the rainbow and $500 for you. And you open the envelope and you go, oh. And so now they didn't say what school this was from, so you're not throwing anyone under the bus, but did somebody send you $500? No, no. <laughs> you know what? You know what's interesting, man? I can honestly say um, I was always kind of afraid of that. I didn't. I, I had talked to guys who got money. And it, it didn't work out well for them, and 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 not because they they had gotten caught, but the situation they had gotten themselves caught up in. And you know, I I I, I always steered away from that. I I didn't want to get money. I I was I was I was afraid to be honest with you because I I seen guys. It was like I say they you know they get the money and they were promised tickets and man and when they didn't give them tickets up. People would call the office. They're like, "Hey, he promised me my tickets. I gave him this amount of money. You know, all those things are violations. You know, you, it, just, <laughs> it was never worth it to lose the scholarship over." Well, especially because and you mentioned above the rim, which is why it's so funny that it ties in. Is there's a scene above the rim right at the end when Tupac is talking to Dwayne Martin and he says, "What do you think Georgetown's going to think about those gifts you took?" Just mm-hmm. check it. You're not going to Georgetown or anywhere if we don't win the championship. That's right. That's right. You know, and, and, and man. It's, it's 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 amazing how how powerful that movie was. I mean, people, if people really sit down and watch Above the Real, it between that and and of course you know Spike Lee's he got game. I mean, <laughs> those movies are man. Which I was gonna even say, man, I thought you left out he got game and Love and Basketball. I thought those those would have been your your top movies too, though. Yeah, it's tough because there's only five spots. So it's kind of like when I make my top, only five I make my top ten NBA players. It's usually a list of twenty-two guys. I got to cut down to ten. <laughs> and so That's I feel right. like with the with basketball movies, like I said, I, I felt like loving basketball is one of my all-time favorite. It's a remote drop for me. I watch it no matter where it is. Um, and then, uh, like I said, he got game. Actually, I didn't love. Uh, he got game. It was a different role for Denzel to see him in that kind of almost like a, like a villain type role, even though he wasn't really a villain. But uh, so it was tough for me to watch that movie, and, and as much as I liked Ray Allen's character, uh, I don't know like the movie itself. I just didn't. You know what's interesting about He Got Game? He Got Game is a mixture of my story and Arthur's story combined. Okay. So when you get your when you get your look at it again, it's it's because believe it or not, we were actually supposed to do the movie with Spike Lee, oh, and wow. at that particular time. Everything was going well, going well. Then something that happened with the producers of, of, of Hoop Dreams and Spike Lee's people where it just fell apart. And then he came up with, he got game. And actually Nelson George was writing the uh, script for that. So it just kind of just fell apart, but That's, it's so. Now that I think you, about it, I can, I can see the Denzel character being Bo Ag. Yes. I can see, uh, I can see the, 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 the way he pushed him, almost kind of like Curtis pushed you. Yes. Right? Kind of like, uh, mm-hmm. I, I can definitely see that. So, um, although I would have to say, if 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 you or Arthur was Ray Allen, it'd probably be you would be the Ray Allen. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, and that's what I'm saying. It was like a it was like a mixture. How Denzel played a little bit of both of our, you know, both and Curtis. You know, it was a little yeah. bit of both of us with Ray Allen. You know, where, um, like for example, the good kid, but in a different type of environment trying to stay keep it together you know 
but yet being exposed to stuff that that just draw you in, you know, just draw you in, that you just like, oh, okay, you know, and then, you know, remember the scene with, with, with Ray Allen playing against Denzel? Hey, that, that's Arthur and his dad, you know, <laughs> you know, going at each other. Um, yeah, so I, I, that was the last question that I had, and, and I really, really, really appreciate having you on. I actually want you to take a second to talk about Hoop Dreams Apparel uh, and, and stuff, because again, I think that the logo is fantastic. I want our fans who are watching to obviously order some of this stuff. I know I'm definitely going to go through and see. I, I like the logo, so I'll probably get like a hat or something with that logo on it. And I actually had some advice for you, uh, whether you take it or not, it's up to you, but I was thinking, you know, trying to get that brand up and running is obviously, you know, your, your kids play. I know uh, that your youngest is still in high school or is he in college now uh he's still in high school senior right now yeah so i was thinking like kind of almost reaching out to the high schools because you have that connection and being like hey what if hoop dreams apparel you know did the jerseys and you could have jerseys that have the hd on it but the you know school name you know and you could actually even branch out you know, we'll do the baseball jerseys the football jerseys and it really gets that hoop dreams name out that they still have to pay for them but you know maybe because they know you they get a discount and you get the name on the jersey when they travel around so. i like that Absolutely, absolutely. Listen, man, I take all I take all advice. <laughs> listen, one thing you can't you can't pay for enough is advice. So no, I take it all. I appreciate it. that's a great idea because um you know the the, the whole concept of the the again the hoop dreams because I, I hadn't been out there much and um I just feel like the timing was right. Um been having all these ideas and things going on in my head and then of course with with the logo, I wanted to make sure that, you know, 22 has always been synonymous with me, even like my Twitter handles or my Instagram handle. It's Hoop22Dream. So I wanted to just make it in there. But I wanted it to be, you know, tough enough that it could stand on its own outside of just saying Hoop Dreams as well, too. Uh, but obviously, Hoop Dreams is the catch. So we are hd-22.com. Also, um, there's a web, website, hdclothing.com. And on there, man, there's some great stories that I got up there. Like there's a story, Hoop Dreams, 25 years later. There's another story, Hoop Dreams, the first reality show. There's also uh, a story up there where my son and his, what his college basketball experience was about. So really just trying to draw people into the story of Hoop Dreams from the past all the way up to now and reach that younger generation as well. That's why you see some of the, the themes that I have going on, like even the shirt behind me representing, you know, the Space Jam theme, or um, I have a Bel Air theme really taking it back to when we was coming up to Fresh Prince of Bel Air and, you know, the crazy kind of colors that he used to wear and stuff like that. And really just trying to make it funky, make it fresh. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's athletic apparel, too, that you can wear uh, when you just want to chill, too. You know, you want to just you just hanging out. You want to look good. So uh, but again, you know, appreciates everybody's support. So go check it out. HD-22.com. Uh, go take a look. And um, you know what I'm doing, too? Um, if your your folks, if they uh, they go on there tonight. And they use, I'm going to put the word uh, infinity on there. They put nice. in infinity, they'll get a 10% discount. Nice. All right. There you go. You hear it, folks. Get up on there. 
I got to get my hat tonight. I'm going to have to get that shirt tonight then, man. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, like I said, I really appreciate you uh, coming on. It's been really, really great. Uh, obviously, you know, I mean, Silk was a great guest. I think you've been a phenomenal guest to have on and, and talk about, you know, everything. And I, I couldn't tell you how much I appreciate it. It's been really, really cool, especially, like I said, I mean, you're a little bit older than me. So, like, when that movie came out, I was in my sophomore year, you know, uh, kind of playing basketball. And so, to me, you're almost like a celebrity. Like, I'm oh, wow, I'm talking to William Gates, you know? So, it's, it's kind of cool to actually be able to right. talk with you. I appreciate that, man. A little grayer these days, but I appreciate that. I'm not going to lie, man. The, the black with the gray looks dope, though. I'm not going to lie, man. It looks fresh, bro. I'm, I'm thinking about dying my gray now. I'm, de- I'm dead ass, man. Listen, I, I keep it because I'm hoping it makes me look smarter. <laughs> there you go. You got that salt and pepper thing going on, man. It's That's in right, style man. now, bro. Yeah. Thank you so much for being with us, William. Really, honestly, it was a pleasure. You were a great interview. You're a great guy. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate it. I don't have a Kenny image today, so everyone's just going to have to deal with a different image. We have the image from the interview, and Kenny Smith is still going to send us home here. <laughs> it's over.